The views, comments, stories, and opinions shared within this podcast are our own or those of our guests and in no way represent the views of the companies, associations, or organizations that any of us may work for or represent. All stories, events, and tales shared within this episode may or may not have happened in the manner in which they were told. They may or may not have even happened at all. The details have been changed to protect the innocent and the guilty alike. This is Squawk Ident. You're listening to Squawk Ident, an aviation podcast that explores the many pathways to an aviation profession, the challenges that a professional aviator can expect in today's marketplace, and we share many stories along the way. I'm your host, Aviator Tony, a professional airline pilot currently flying for a U.S. legacy airline with close to 20 years on the flight line. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome aboard Flight 85 of the Squawk Ident podcast, recorded on the 31st of July, 2021. From the 16th floor of the Wyndham Grand Hotel at Point State Park, where the Allegheny, Monongahela, and Ohio Rivers meet at Fort DeQuesson in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. On today's flight, we are proud to be joined by a fantastic Squawk Ident crew member. Captain Roger is here. Our journey will have us discussing Jetpack Man. Yes, another sighting in Southern California. We also discuss pilots forced to sleep at the airport. What the heck is going on? We review the hazards out on the ramp that could cause some serious injuries or even death. We also explore one of the world's most regarded aviation festivals, EAA Air Venture. And we hear some on-location reporting in Oshkosh from our friend, John Gruber, who spent this past weekend at the famed festival. All this and more on board Flight 85 of the Squawk Ident Podcast. Assisting at the controls on today's flight is an exceptional aviator and co-host. He is an award-winning trophy-hoisting tennis champion, a professional CFI, MEI flight instructor, former freight dog, a former airline pilot, current carrying air instructor, a Dassault Falcon commander, a captain, and a corporate operator as well. He joins us from under quarantine from his palace of chaos from somewhere in San Diego, California. Please help us in welcoming back to the show... Captain Roger. Captain, how you doing? Oh, I'm doing all right, Tony. I guess I can I can add COVID survivor officially to my uh, to my role in now since I, I guess my palace of quarantine could be considered my palace of isolation right now. Oh my god, you know the when you text me the other day and said you've got the Rona and you know knowing that you were vaccinated uh <laughs> We were like, what? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I figure we'll just get that out of the way. I I, I do have the uh, the Rona right now, although I'm at the very tail end of it and I am actually just fine. Um, I'll use this very, this five seconds to encourage everyone to get the vaccine. I was vaccinated. I did catch um, COVID. However, it was very minor. Um, I, I did lose my sense of taste and smell, which is actually why I got tested and um, and other than that, now I'm just kind of sitting here pretty much healthy, um, waiting to get back into the world now, but, uh, get vaccinated, everybody. Yeah. So, I mean, your, your story, we we're talking in the pre-show about what you've been going through, how you found out, sure. um, you know, on the last show that we recorded, what, last Thursday, uh, you, you had to, you had to kind of cut it short cause you had a tennis match to go to and, you know, typical weekend for you getting ready to to have a tennis tournament and how did that happen did you feel bad that day or the next day or or? no no that day you know looking back on it 
Um, I, I might have felt something in my throat. You know, I'm not, I'm not entirely sure. Um, and then it was the next two days that I, I started getting some more congestion. Um, you know, unfortunately, it, it had gone through the rest of my house. I was the last one to, to get it. And what caused a little bit of confusion was because actually my, my wife had gotten tested and she had been negative. And so we just thought it was a cold. And then just because we had some family gatherings that were coming up and um, later that weekend, it was actually at the very end of the weekend, um, I, I was taking a shower and I couldn't smell the soap. And, and out of an abundance of caution is why I decided to go get tested, thinking I just had the same you know, cold that I thought everyone else had had because there had been a previous test that had been, that had been negative. And then unfortunately, 24 hours later, mine came back and it had a red positive next to it. And that kind of changed the whole dynamic of everything. And um, so I've pretty much been inside since. And I'm at the very tail, you know, the very tail end of everything. Yeah. Um, Cause that's, that was um, looking back on it. It's been just over a week. Yeah. And uh, so you were vaccinated so and what was like was. the worst symptom for you during this process? I, I guess the worst symptom was just some congestion, just like a cold. Um, really my, the progression, which kind of made it a little, you know, even more confusing. Like I thought it was a cold was the progression was just like a cold. I had a very minor sore throat. Uh, most of my sore throats that I get with a cold were worse than what I had um, with this. And then I had some congestion for maybe four days or so. Again, the congestion w- was was mo- minor to moderate, I would say. But generally, my cold um, stuffy nose are, are worse than what I what I also had with this. But then that lasted four days or so. And then um, that started clearing up. and. Um, even my, my sense of taste and smell started coming back two or three days ago and not, not a hundred percent, but definitely 50 to probably even over 50. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, well, you know, uh, very happy that you're, you're kind of passing through this relatively quickly. Now your family, uh, you know, being that you, you have all four of you are in the same house, are they all affected in a similar manner or was it worse for some? It was very, very different. It, I think my kids, I think were the ones, actually my son, I think was the first that got it because everyone got sick after him. They were sick like kids typically get sick. You know, they had, there was a complaint of sore throat and um, the congestion. And I'd say that that lasted about four days for each of them. And then that was, then that was it. Yeah. Um, and then my wife has been very different. She was the one that got tested and came back negative, but she was, she spent over, I think it's probably nine, nine days straight in bed. Wow. Um, she could not be out of bed for more than 30 to 45 minutes without needing to take a nap and go back to sleep for hours. Um, that has finally turned around. I mean, she's, she's now been, it's it's now been probably 11, 11 or 12 days and she is getting better, but um, her symptoms were much worse. Um, severe fatigue and body aches. Mm-hmm. Body aches seem to have mostly subsided, but the fatigue is still there. But the big thing, again, um, she was not or has not been vaccinated. Uh-huh. And so just, you know, watching the progression and, and how it affected people differently within my own house 
on the vaccination versus not vaccination. You know, fortunately, she did not have any other any breathing issues, um, which seems to be the big thing. But um, but she was definitely affected and is still being affected right now. Yeah. Even coming up on two weeks after she started feeling sick. Yeah. It's probably been about 12 days now, I think, for her. And that's an interesting example because, you know, you were vaccinated because, you know, obviously your job and everything else and, and, and your your ability to do so. And she decided not to. And you have the same strain because you're all in the same house. All four of you got it. One would expect. Yeah. You know, and, and, you know, obviously you're not the same person, but your symptoms actually were much milder than hers. And, and it begs the question of, you know, is this vaccine really making it so much better? Um, and is that really a, a testament to taking the vaccine? Um, and it sounds like it is. I'm, I'm uh, definitely for it. Uh, I know a lot of pilots are against it. Um, it doesn't matter what your political belief system is. Um, at, at the end of the day, uh, it, it, to me, it, it seems like getting the jab is a better choice simply because if you do come down with it, whether you got the jab or not, you can have, make the argument, oh, it doesn't work because you still got it. Yeah, you still got it or a, a variant of of the virus, which is absolutely normal in the progression of viruses as it goes through society and after periods of time. But yeah, I mean, talking to you just a few days after, it, it, you know, it seemed like you were fine. I'm like, are you sure? Yeah. Did you lose your sense of smell and taste? Because you sound okay. You sound like you have sniffles. <laughs> yep. So that's but, pretty much what it what it has been, you know. And and like I told you, the vaccine is not. You know, I don't look at it as as something that will prevent you from getting sick with 100 percent certainty. Um, I never have, but you know, and especially in my case, I can definitely vouch for the fact that it made the the progression of everything very easy, which was was good. I can't imagine having two kids at home and both of us. I mean. You know, oh. with, with her being completely out of commission, I've done everything yeah. for pretty much almost two weeks now wow. because she is incapable of of anything because yeah. of the fatigue. She's on bed, uh, bed rest, basically. Yeah, literally yeah. just in bed all day. Yeah, for twenty three hours out of the day. Wow. Um, well, I hope for her speedy recovery. Um, thank well, you for thank you. sharing that with us. Uh, it does help, I think, the listeners out there to kind of hear firsthand. You know, we, we hear about this stuff on the news all the time, the 5M or the mass media or whatever you want to call them. Um, and, and depending on which one you listen to, it's either a sink or swim here. Um, but, you know, to kind of get a firsthand account for, for what you've experienced, I think is very helpful. So thank you for that. Absolutely. So, you know, everybody since- stay healthy out there. Yes, absolutely. Um, <laughs> you know, we were looking forward to this mask mandate expiring here uh, in September 1st uh, so that when you travel, you then if it expired, then it would be optional or there would be some other kind of caveat if you have to wear the mask or not, if you've been vaccinated or not. Um, I know that a lot of places like L.A. County and in New York County and New York City, um, they have reimpose the mask mandate whether you're vaccinated or not however not all of southern california is under that mask mandate i live in san bernardino county uh, i've uh, just last week i traveled to orange county um, and those mask mandates all the signs on the doors of all the businesses say the same thing if you're vaccinated you don't have to wear a mask it's your choice uh, if you are not vaccinated then you must wear a mask 
I think the reason we're starting to see an uptick here is because those that chose not to get vaccinated decided, well, I don't need to wear a mask. And then you have a little bit more of a spread because it's a little easier for those individuals to get it. Who knows? But either way, um, it'll be interesting to see what happens and how it affects aviation here in the near future. Well, since our last uh, podcast, Flight 84, uh, which was absolutely, uh, I had a blast uh, producing that one and recording it with you guys. Um, But since our last podcast, I have been, it's 11 days ago. And in 11 days, I've had one day off. And I'm not complaining because I I pretty much did it to myself. Um, I was supposed to have more than one day off. (laughs) But because of delays and rescheduling and uh, missed missed opportunities to to catch flights and reassignments and deadheads. Oh, I, I basically have had one full 24 hour period off. Um, been flying my butt off. And uh, if that wasn't, you know, busy enough, the flying on top of it was hectic as well. <laughs> so, you know, it started out the day we recorded that podcast, I had to take a nap and then get packed and ready to go on another trip. And I had the same trip I had the week before that we talked about on the last show. And wouldn't you know it, that Ontario to DFW uh, red eye that I was supposed to do that Thursday night into Friday morning was delayed. Why? Because the inbound crew wrote up a seatbelt. Now, why do you write up a seatbelt? They don't really break. Someone got sick on the flight inbound. When they got sick on the flight inbound, they did not get to that little baggie that's in the seat back pocket fast enough, and they had some biological substances (laughs) on their lap, on the seatbelt. And we just, we can't have that. Now, the seatbelts in your aircraft, if you are a regular flyer or you're in aviation, then you understand that if you look in the back of a commercial jet, all those seatbelts have these like metal spring-loaded clips on each side of them where they attach to the seat. This is a quick, quick release system. And all maintenance has to do is come on the plane. If they have to remove the cushions and replace the cushions, they can do so quickly. They don't have to bother cleaning them. They just put them in a bag and haul them out. They usually remove the seatbelt as well and just replace the whole thing. The process takes less than a few minutes and you're on your way. But when you're at what's considered an outstation, because they don't have in-house maintenance, the process could take some time because, you know, the the flight crew will then notify the pilots. Hey, we had a passenger get sick in whatever, 23F, and we're going to need to replace the the seatbelt or the seat cushion or whatever. Okay, so it goes in the aircraft maintenance log. And if in route and there's time, a message will be sent to MOC or maintenance operation control from the aircraft. And we have what we call an arms code and we send that arms code to maintenance. And that is an automated system that automatically starts getting the ball rolling. It then sends a notification to a maintenance personnel. They have to contact contract maintenance. Here's the part number that you might need. It already starts ordering it from wherever the location is, and it really helps expedite the process. However, Ontario is an outstation with contract maintenance, and usually they're busy because 
what happens out of Ontario primarily is cargo. So when you have a departure that's past midnight, odds are they're on some other aircraft working a maintenance issue because that's when all the cargo aircraft, the heavies leave. So yeah, we waited about an hour and before we got off the gate, all for a five minute fix. So it wasn't off to a good start. The funny thing is the number three flight attendant says, I remember you. I said, you do? She says, yeah, you were with me last week. We had that delay because the door, you broke the airplane. I was like, wait, hold on a second. I did not break the airplane. Uh, The jet bridge failed. She's like, yeah, I know. I'm just giving you a hard time. She's like, but wait a minute. You're the common denominator. We were late last week and now we're late this week. It's you. I'm like, wait a minute. Weren't you on that airplane with me? (laughs) So we had a little bit of a fun uh, back and forth. Um, But yeah, we took off. We got into to Dallas, unfortunately, after the sun came up. And yes, the album cover of Flight 84 is, in fact, the sunrise from that morning. I took a picture while we were on the train on the way to the uh, the accommodations, and uh, and that was it. It was such a beautiful sunrise. Um, for those that don't realize, ever since episode one of the Squawk Ident podcast, I have been producing unique album covers for every single episode. Now, if you listen on Apple Podcasts or some of these other podcast players that are not podcast 2.0 compliant, you're not going to see that. You're just going to see the Squawk Ident logo at the front. And if that's the case, then you would probably have to go to the website at aviatortony.com and click on episode cover art, and you can see all the unique episode covers for each flight. Uh, If you're listening on Spotify and you enlarge the window, yes, you can see each episode's unique album cover. So there's that. I had an awesome crew that week. We flew the next evening, which was Friday evening, from DFW to Savannah. One leg. Everybody was, we got there on time. Everybody was energetic. And they're like, well, we're here early. Let's let's go grab a bite to eat because we're kind of hungry. We're not even going to start talking about crew meals <laughs> right now. I think I've got over a dozen uh, union emails in the past 24 or 48 hours about the crew meals. There's a revolt, I tell you, at Legacy Airlines. And uh, so we all went out and went to this really wonderful rooftop bar on the river there in Savannah. Uh, you know, that we ended up, they weren't serving food. So after an adult beverage and some good conversation, we decided to find another establishment. And I ended up sharing some chicken wings and uh, some cool appetizers, bar food, had a nice IPA. And then before we left, we saw a sign at the door that said, Savannah's original pickle shot. Roger, have you ever had a pickle shot? I cannot say that I've had a pickle shot. Um, I'm not a pickle guy at all, though, either. So that would probably just have me running the other direction. <laughs> I, I like pickles, but I'm not like, I don't drink the juice. Okay. Well, I don't yeah, like Yeah. So what is that? Is that like doing a shot of brine? Because so that's. Disgusting. They had a giant like jar behind the bar of pickle juice no. with a with little, that's... you know. So they had a little pickle juice in each shot and then a lot of vodka. <laughs> oh, my. <laughs> I'm going to go with a hard pass on this one. It was a hard pass good. on the uh, pickle it shot. Like, it tasted like a shot of pickle. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'll be right back. I'm going to go use one of those air sick bags right now. <laughs> yeah, just don't get it on the seatbelt. 
<laughs> so yeah, it was fun. You know, we had a good time. You know, it's not often that you get to go hang out with the crew and you actually enjoy each other's company and, and tell stories and, you know, learn about them and, and yourself. And, and it was a good time. I really had a good time. So the next morning I woke up in Savannah and got a good run in. And the, the Savannah River run is actually not that bad. Not very long because the waterfront's only about a mile. So run back and forth. But Savannah, just as a side note, is one of the oldest cities in the United States of Georgia. In the United States of Georgia. Let me tell you. And it's the county seat of Catham County, established in 1733 on the Savannah River. The city of Savannah became the British colony capital of the province of Georgia and later the first state capital of Georgia, a strategic port city in the American Revolution and during the American Civil War. Savannah is today an industrial center and an important Atlantic seaport. Savannah has a lot of history. And anyone, it's a nice city too. Anyone that goes running through there, uh, I mean, with all the moss hanging from the trees and everything, the place looks haunted. <laughs> And here's the weird thing, you know, we're talking about COVID and, and vaccinations and masking and all this kind of stuff. I don't think I've ever seen as many bridal showers happening in one place at the same time as I did in Savannah. We all commented on it. The whole flight crew was like, what the heck's going on? Is everyone getting married in Savannah? I mean, it was just a bunch of either dudes hanging out, going to clubs or a bunch of girls wearing their little tiara and the t-shirts that say you know, bridesmaid or whatever. Oh my God. Crazy. So just on a total side note here, if I could go back and do my life over again, I would go to college in South Carolina or the coast of Georgia. All right, all right, all right. Southern Bell's down there. How you doing? I, I understand entirely what you're saying. I'm, I have to leave it there. Just leave it there. But man, if I could go back, I'd be there in a heartbeat. Yep. Yep. And the, and the Southern cooking, the fried chicken. Oh my God. And of course, one of the flight attendants is like, are you going to go to Paula Deans? We got to go to Paula Deans. And sure enough, the next day when we were on the van back to the airport, she's like, I said, did you go to Paula Deans? She's like, oh, yes, I did. <laughs> she's like, I even got some leftovers I'm bringing home to the kids. <laughs> I was like, all right, this is cool. <laughs> and this is the great thing about this job. You, met, you get to meet and, and go to places. And you get to meet people from all walks of life. Uh, and just amazing. Great time. I had a big smile on my face after that layover. Uh, and that day, we ended up back in Dallas, ended up in Portland, had a decent hour. And the next morning in Portland, I went for a run on the Columbia River. And I got to see Mount Hood, and I got to see the approach end of the runway because we we're staying at a hotel near the airport. And even as I was running overhead, a couple aircraft flew and landed, you know, out on the runway. You kind of the running trail goes right in between the approach lights. It's, it's kind of cool, actually. Um, and so here we were. We had a uh, late afternoon departure. I think it was two p.m. departure. So at one fifty-five, I head downstairs. And I was like, okay, you know, I see the whole crew there. We're all there. All six of us are down there. And we're like, hey, guys, you know, the van should be here any minute. Yeah, okay, cool. I'm going to go grab a free cup of coffee over here, complimentary coffee at this, uh, I think it was a Hyatt place. It was awesome. 
as I'm pouring my coffee, the captain comes up behind me. He's like, hey, Tony, how you doing? I said, oh, great, pretty good. And he's getting ready to pour a cup of coffee as well. And his phone rings. And it's the Imperial March, you know. Crew scheduling. Crew scheduling. You said it, sir. And so I'm like, uh-oh. <laughs> Nobody move. <laughs> so he answers the phone. And I hear him, uh-huh. Uh-huh. Oh. Oh. Oh, okay. Oh, so how how long? Seven p.m. Eight o'clock. Oh, I immediately knew exactly what was happening. So I picked up my phone and I went to our app that we have. We call it uh, Legacy. Calls it CCI. So I went to the app. I go, okay, inbound aircraft. Uh, look up MELs, maintenance or minimum equipment list items that things that may not be working on the aircraft. Radar in op. We had to go from Portland, Oregon to Dallas-Fort Worth on a Saturday where there wasn't weather at either destination, but getting there across half the country, there was a lot of thunderstorm activity. So I knew exactly, okay, you can't, that MEL, I've had it before, and it says that you cannot depart unless the captain and the dispatcher agree that the flight can remain outside of any airspace that contains weather that would require its usage. So... What we had to do, because it's, again, a contract base, they don't have parts for airplanes there, they have to ship them in, we had to wait until the following aircraft that was scheduled to do a RON or remain on the overnight was going to land, which was an evening flight. So we weren't going to leave for five hours. So we, we went back to the hotel desk and said, can we have our rooms back, please? <laughs> sure enough, they gave us our rooms back. And the captain is like, hey, man, uh, I want to take a nap for like an hour and I'll meet you. We'll go to Buffalo Wild Wings for dinner or something. Like, sure. So that's what we did. Um, grabbed some a late early dinner, late lunch, and then got back into our uniforms and went back to the airport. Didn't leave uh, Portland till like nine o'clock at night. Suffice to say, I didn't make it home that day. And I had to end up in Dallas for yet another night thus my lost day off and uh yeah that was tough i ended up landing in ontario the following day at like five o'clock in the afternoon and because one of our two vehicles is in the shop right now getting worked on and i had a trip that was leaving out of los angeles the next morning i decided i better rent a car because i'm not gonna ask my family to drive me all the way to LAX, which is about an hour and 20 minute drive one way. So I ended up renting a car, going home, packing up a bunch of stuff, repacking the next morning, bright and early, drove to LAX. And I did my first trip out of LAX that I've done probably in a few months. Well, LAX Terminal 4 and 5 are under major renovation. And so our crew room is no longer there. We're in a temporary spot it is nice it's clean it's new but it's the size of a closet <laughs> it's tiny there's maybe maybe a dozen chairs in there and all the file cabinets in a in a krupp coffee maker and that's pretty much it and that's going to be our new home temporarily probably for another year and a half so not the best situation but i ended up doing a kona trip so Back to Hawaii it was. Uh, got a wonderful run in on old Kona Airport Park. 
Anyone that's been to Kona knows that uh, the airport we landed in Kona is actually newer, the old Kona airport. Uh, the runways are gone, but the, the gravel and lava are still there, and they turned it into a big park it's on the water. It's actually very beautiful. Um, next day, same thing, another run, and trying to get rid of these COVID-19, man. <laughs> 19 pounds. <laughs> and yeah, back to uh, back to LA, no major problems. Returned to the car the next day, spent a day with the family. And then yesterday, back to Ontario Airport, got dropped off, did a DFW Pittsburgh. And here I am in Pittsburgh by myself because for whatever reason, my regularly scheduled captain didn't uh, make it. And so now I've got musical captains every day, a new captain. So I've got to break them in when I get out. So, you know, so my, my trips, I mean, hopefully everybody can get a, get a taste of how, how nonstop and how hectic it can be. Get your rest when you can. Safety is extremely important. You want to be you know, awake at the controls. You don't have to deal with uh, doing touch and goes with your head, you know, sitting there. Um, and luckily, I've got a lot of plenty of exercise. I drank plenty of water and I've just been taking care of myself this last couple of weeks. So how was the uh, be- your schedule for the beginning of the month? I mean, you just told us you had, what, 11 days straight. I mean, were you working a lot at the beginning of the month or did you have a lot of time off at the beginning of the month to balance that out? Uh, well, at the beginning of the month, I had my little COVID scare, so I was removed from flying. We did my we did our family trip up to San Francisco Bay Area, um, which got cut short because then I had recovered from a little bit of a head congestion, which was COVID negative. Um, and then, as we were in the city visiting with my mom, Julie came down with the same head cold. She got tested. She was also COVID negative. And we ended up cutting that vacation short and came home. And so I actually had like a, almost two weeks off. Uh, okay. Partly, in, partly due to the COVID scare thing, getting removed from, from flying, and then having a block of about five days in a row off. So, and then of course we were recovering at home and, you know, trying to get plenty of fluids for her and, and, you know, keep isolated, even though it wasn't, it came back as a negative test, but still we wanted to just be sure. So the beginning of the month was, yes, in fact, uh, I think it was 10 days off in a row. Okay. So of course that led me to this end of the month where I had, I had actually scheduled it to where I had like a day off here and a day off there, which usually is good enough for recovery to kind of build up the hours so that I had a steady amount of hours. I like around 80 hours a month. Um, but because of days lost, they had to pay me my duty rigs for those days that were supposed to be off that now I was flying or deadheading. So I'm actually got up to, I think, 90 hours this month. All right. Well, I'm glad that it all worked out, yeah. um, especially having that time off. Actually, you get the time off at the beginning of the month and then got the extra pay at the end of the month. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, it's a little tough and kind of all jammed into a tight time frame. Two-week but period. Yeah. But, you know, it balances out in the end. Speaking of being jam-packed, you know, we haven't heard about this in almost a year. And we were so excited here on the show to hear about Jetpack Man. And yet, where has Jetpack Man been? We haven't heard about it. We had theories about what it was. The FBI got involved with with an investigation of who is this Jetpack Man person. And yet, here again... Just the other day, 
July 29th, a sighting. And here's a little bit of audio from ABC7 in Chicago. It's happened again. Pilots on approach to LAX spotting what appears to be a man flying with a jetpack on his back. Here's how it played out as air traffic controllers warned approaching pilots. Recall this video captured by a SoCal pilot in December of 2020. It shows what appears to be a jetpack man flying off the coast of Palos Verdes at around 3,000 feet. Some investigators believe it could be a drone made to look like a man in a jetpack. The FAA says it's aware of tonight's latest sighting and near LAX and is investigating. Jetpack man. <laughs> That's a good jetpack man story. So yeah, Jetpack Man is back. You know, I missed him. <laughs> well, it's a good I, thing you missed him. You don't want to hit that guy. <laughs> this is true, too. You know, if I find out that it's some, like, 14-year-old kids from from Valencia that <laughs> just decided to like, throw a foam mannequin on a drone and... Uh, it prob are, you know, at this, oh it probably is that... Yeah, I, you know, I, I, I don't know <laughs> this, but whoever's doing this, like, I hope that they are prepared for the repercussions. Real men of genius. <laughs> and when they are found, I mean, because it's not going to be pretty. <laughs> I don't think that the FBI is going to look kindly and find quite the same level of uh, entertainment. Because, you know, unfortunately for all the stuff that we joke about, when, when you have Korean heavy aircraft and, and airliners flying and can, are, and can actually see that close that, that it looks like the outline of a man, it's, it's pretty serious because if something were to happen, that will do significant damage to an airplane. Well, think and about so, that. You're, you're, in, you're flying a heavy. You're flying a 777 or a 7-8. You've been flying 12, 15 hours, 15 hours, whatever it is. And you're tired. You're just like you're on the ILS, and you're you know the the you just want to get it on the ground. And all of a sudden, your adrenaline spikes because you just saw a freaking Dumbo fly past your. <laughs> I mean, what's next? <laughs> you know. So uh, yeah. And if they if that drone or jetpack man or whatever it is actually ends up getting ingested into an engine, oh my god, the lives lost and the damage. Oh. We're looking at millions. Yeah, I think it's more the damage. You know, I think that, you know, I, I don't, I mean, it's hard to say. I think that lives being endangered, hopefully, you know, even at, at going into an engine and, and shredding an engine yeah. is, is, is going to cost much more than, you know, an issue with getting the plane on the ground safely, hopefully. But yeah, I mean, tens of millions of 
dollars in damage because somebody wanted to strap a foam mannequin to their drone over and over again because they're probably laughing and pointing at the TV was <laughs> this stuff plays on plays on the uh, nightly news, you know. <laughs> Hey, bro, we made the news again. all of us. Oh, sweet. Pass the bong, bro. <laughs> but sooner or later, I mean. Uh-huh. Well, I, I hope that uh, this jetpack issue doesn't become a jetpack travesty. Uh, yep. That I know it's all fun and games for whoever's doing this, but yeah. Um, it is serious. It is very serious. And like you said, the FAA, the NTSB, the FBI, none of them are going to be very uh, Amused. lenient. Yeah, they won't be lenient when, when the, the perpetrators are actually caught. So, yeah, be warned, Jetpack Man. <laughs> but until then, we'll get a, a, a little laugh out of it. Yep. You, you have a fan base. Let's just say that. <laughs> <laughs> but, but we're in, not going to feel sorry for you <laughs> no but, but but when they throw the book at you we're going to be there going man eh, yeah okay I told you well in, in other shocking news um you know i heard about this uh actually the conversation i had last night with my captain uh one of the conversations was about this and even our union at legacy airlines has decided to send out a lot of Uh, articles and emails about this what happens when the operation goes so wrong that your flight crews are forced to sleep at the airport you know at legacy we take pride of making sure that we take care of our flight crews and our passengers and this would never happen at legacy airlines i i can guarantee it but over at our sister airline at american The pilots and flight attendants say that they were sleeping in airports due to hotel issues from the Dallas Morning News (laughs) in an article dated uh, July 28th by Kyle Arnold entitled American Airlines pilots flight attendants say that they're sleeping in airports due to hotel issues. And the article goes on to say unions filed a grievance against Fort Worth based American Airlines saying that they aren't getting hotel rooms and transportation booked, which affects the rest of crew members between flights. The Association of Professional Flight Attendants and the Allied Pilots Association filed a grievance with Fort Worth-based American Airlines on Tuesday night, saying that they have faced an increased number of situations where they don't have hotel rooms or transportation from and to the airport and hotels after landing. And when they land, they say that they're facing with hour-long waits on the phone with the help desk to their third-party vendor. Now, there is a red flag. We know that all across the country, at airlines, and even around the globe, contracting out services has become extremely popular because of the cost savings. And unfortunately, these kind of things start to rear their ugly heads. The article goes on to say that we have flight attendants sleeping in airports and outside of baggage claim due to the company not providing hotel accommodations in a timely manner, said a memo to flight attendants from union president Julie Hedrick. Crew rest is being impacted and clean, comfortable, and quiet rooms are not being provided for required rest. The hotel and transportation issues come after an already difficult start to the summer 
for people who work at airlines. A shortage of restaurant workers means it's often hard to find restaurants open, both at airports and near hotels. Pilots have complained about an increased number of cheese and cracker trays from the sometimes only food options between flights. I know, Roger. I know. Southwest airline pilots and flight attendants have complained to management about problems with booking hotels as well. And it has seen a high number of delays and cancellations. American Airlines, which has 13,400 pilots and 24,450 flight attendants, says it's looking into the issue raised by the unions. Taking care of our crew members while they are away from home is a priority for American, said American Airlines spokesperson Lindsay Martin. Man, Lindsay's got a deep voice. Then there are an increased number of rowdy customers and flight attendants that are often needed to enforce federal mandates a face mask. The FAA has already seen more than 3,200 complaints this year regarding unruly passengers. Airlines such as Delta and Southwest have apologized to passengers in the last week, saying that they are not prepared for the number of summer passengers surged. On Tuesday, Atlanta-based Delta said it plans to hire 5,000 more employees to help reduce hold times for call centers and to help passengers in airports. While American executives said that Delays and cancellations have slowed in recent weeks. Pilots and flight attendants say that they're struggling and hotel and transportation issues are adding even more stress to their jobs. So the article goes on in quite length, talking more about this and, of course, mentioning fatigue. Now, if you are a pilot or flight attendant listening to this broadcast and you find yourself in a situation like this where you're coming in and for whatever reason, you don't have a hotel booked, you get the dreaded booking in progress on your app after an, a reasonable attempt to contact the appropriate department to find reasonable accommodations, hop in an Uber, get a cab, get a receipt, find a hotel yourself. If that means driving an hour to a hotel, so be it an expense report that you should not under any circumstances be sleeping on an airplane sleeping at an airport that's just not right it's just not right so i mean even if it comes out of your own pocket just don't do it <laughs> don't do it um I, and i know sometimes it's impossible um but you got to take care of yourself you got to take care of your crew first and foremost um, and if the company can't do it, then you need to do it. Roger, what are your thoughts on on this not getting hotel rooms and whatnot? I think, and you know, I, I did see this, but it, it it does go even deeper in what you're just talking about because there was another incident where where there was a crew at a regional airline that actually did sleep on an airplane just a week or a week and a half ago. Um, you know, I think that there had been some weather issues and a diversion, and then you know you know the company threw their hands up which may or may not have been warranted there's no there's no rooms we can't get you a room so sleep on the airplane you know this is something that i would have thought would have happened you know 10 years ago because it sure seemed like 10 years ago when i was at, at the regionals that i mean cost cutting and and the mess that we are coming out of that that this was something it could have happened but it never did it never seemed all that close and yet here we are and we're having issues at at major airlines at regional airlines and i i don't know 
like I'm, I'm not exactly a big, you know, pro company guy. I'm not a big pro union guy, but this seems to be something that, that they need to get together and come up with some kind of, of harsh repercussions. Should this happen? Um, if you're going to save money on those third parties, you know, pay your crews double. Like if, if you spend your night in an airport, because unfortunately this can, this can happen. Um, you know, and if, if it does, then there needs to be financial compensation to, to the crews that have to do it of some kind, make it, you know, penalize the company financially with all this money they're saving. Or like you said, I mean, that, which is what I would do is, you know, get yourself, I mean, you might have to go an hour and a half, but unfortunately there are, there are sometimes, you know, I think of Dallas earlier this, this year with, um, with that, the big Arctic freeze that happened down there, sometimes transportation's not an issue when you are, all the hotels are already booked up. And then what do you do? You know, unfortunately there are some times where things are unavoidable, but, um, we got, we have to do something to look out or at least compensate our crews basically for, for this, for this happening, because this is inexcusable. There probably should not be flying the next day. Um, yeah, I, I don't claim to have the answers, but we need to have this spelled out somewhere to at least to at least show the appreciation and our penance for like, look, it, whether it's outside of, of the airline's control or not, like this is not how we should be treating the people that are flying around tens or hundreds of million dollars in equipment and, you know, 50 or 350 people's lives Very true. in the back of the airplane because they're forced to sleep on an airplane or sleep next to baggage carousel number four. Right. No, that's very, very true. And, you know, as pilots, we have to learn how to run through all the scenarios of the what ifs. That's really where we earn our keep. It's not in being in command of an airplane or learning how to be in command of an aircraft. It's knowing what to do when the unplanned for happens. A lot of times, you know, we run through the scenarios and we have the checklists that are outlined specifically for those scenarios. And as pilots, we can run through those without even giving it a thought. We're trained to do that to, to perfection. But it's when those events happen in route or in flight or the command of an aircraft that have never happened before, where we really learn, are we prepared? And if we're not, the entire industry turns on a dime to make sure that that kind of incident never happens again and that we are prepared for the unforeseen. The company is responsible for doing the same when it comes to these kind of events where killer snowstorm comes through or hurricanes happen. I mean, we have scenario books for this at the, at the companies, at the airlines. You know, what do we do if a hurricane goes through Miami? Okay, they have plans in place because they are all about risk assessment and risk management. But when it comes to their own staff, it seems like they haven't spent the time it's like they're the last in consideration that. in all of these scenarios. Exactly. And, and it, it's evident in, you look at accommodations uh, for rest, you look at it for accommodations for crew meals and substance on busy days where they know that 
there are, are very, very limited food options for us while we're on a duty day. And if we're on a 14-hour duty day and we're going, going, going all day long with, with even if we have an hour or two break at some airport somewhere, they know our food options are going to be limited. Wouldn't you think that they would be proactive and say, okay, well, since we know we want our crews to be well-rested and, and, and nourished and everything so that they can be performing at their optimal level so that we can get those flights out on time and let's get them a, a substantial amount of crew meals that are acceptable. Instead, we get these, the, the, the latest, I mean, I'd rather have the Reuben that I was complaining about for over a year. <laughs> What we're getting now, it, it it fits in the palm of my hand. These little these little plastic containers with the Legacy Airlines logo on it, and you're like, this is like two tablespoons of a potato salad that has mayo in it that's been sitting kind of in room temperature. No, uh, here's a salad. It's like a leaf of lettuce that's been chopped to fit in the palm of your hand with a thing of dressing here. Uh, this is like I, I give my 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 pets more food than this when I feed them. And then you get this like vegetarian sandwich that's basically a piece of bread with chili mayo on it. And it, there's there's nothing in it. There's it's not substantial and it's not acceptable. Um, and so a lot of pilots don't want to rock the boat. They feel bad for the passengers in the back. They feel bad for their fellow crew members. They don't want to call in fatigued. They don't want to take a crew meal break. They don't want to delay the flight. They don't want to risk losing an overnight. So most look the other way. And it continues. And it continues. And it, and it you got you to gotta stay healthy. You got to hydrate. You got to eat substantial healthy food to stay healthy, just to, to minimize the stresses, because there's plenty of stress coming at us right now as aviators. Yeah, this is another one of those things I like. I like to make fun of airline guys. There are a lot of of pros to being on the airline side, however, but this is not one of them. I am happy to report this is not a problem that we have to deal with, uh, whether that's uh, your sustenance and food or hotels and accommodations. Um, but this is something that is much easier to deal with on the on the corporate or the private private side of the house because you're just not moving around nearly as much, and especially in in our operations specifically, you know, since we're responsible for our own accommodations. Exactly. You know, You're in control. Easier. Yeah. And yeah, everything is in our control. And right. so we have, you know, which can cut both ways. You know, if something goes wrong, we have nobody to blame but ourselves. But when things yeah. do go slightly sideways, we also have the freedom. We don't need to call a third party vendor. We just get on the phone, we get the Uber, we get the hotel, we find right. whatever's available. Because at that point, you know, our well being is is looked after. And even if that hotel is going to run up to $500 a night, you know, then that's I suppose so be it. what it's going to be. Now, fortunately, that hasn't happened yet, but yeah, but having everything in your control does, does make things a little bit easier because you guys, not only is it not in your control, it's not in your company's control. Now it's in a third party and it's, you, you got to go through the chain of command, right. which makes everything much harder for you guys. And I think that's why, you know, right now with, with the huge, which is good, I guess, the huge growth, all this, the huge sudden growth in air travel again, some of these things are falling through the cracks, but yeah. I hope that this does get sorted out and contingency plans do get made because this needs to get it. Even I will admit that this is something that does need to get addressed sooner rather than later because we can't have 
major airline pilots, regional airline pilots, cargo airplane pilot, any any pilots having to sleep at the baggage carousel or on, or on an airplane. Yeah. I don't care if they've got first class seats or not. I mean, that's just not okay. Not okay. Not at all. And we'll hear more about this, the EAA Air Venture, and feedback from Oshkosh right after this. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. We've been talking about a lot of the struggles we've been dealing with here out on the flight line. Um, but now we want to turn the page here on today's flight and talk about one of the most amazing events that happen in the aviation world every year. Now, last year it was canceled due to the pandemic. And this year, I've got to say, it has been amazing to see all of these online photos being posted from friends and uh, co-workers about general aviation and all of the air shows and all of the really cool events that are happening over in Oshkosh. Now, any pilot will tell you, you know, oh, did you go to Oshkosh this year? And, and I got to admit, I, I've, I've never been. I've, I've always wanted to go. I've found myself working most of the time and not able to go. And I tell you, one of these days, Roger, I'm going to, I'm just going to do it. Uh, I think we need to have a live podcast event from, from Oshkosh. From Oshkosh. Um, but yeah, what is EAA? And so we wanted to take a moment and just dive into it. The EAA Air Venture in Oshkosh, formerly known as the EAA Annual Convention and Fly-In, is an annual air show and gathering of aviation enthusiasts held each summer at Whitman Regional Airport and the adjacent Pioneer Airport in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. The southern part of the show grounds, as well as Camp Scholler, are located in the town of Nakimi, and a base on for seaplane arrivals on Lake Winnebago is in Black Wolf. The air show is arranged by the Experimental Aircraft Association, or EAA, an international general aviation organization based in Oshkosh and is the largest of its kind in the world. The show lasts a week, usually beginning on Monday of the last full week of July during the gathering. The airport's control tower frequency is the busiest in the world. Which I found it, that that's kind of interesting to me. Who works this control tower for one week a year that then becomes the busiest in the world? You know, if uh, if you see some of the videos on how they manage landings with light gun signals, landing on grass, landing in parallel, landing in tandem, it is amazing. And our friends over at In The Hangar, a very popular YouTube channel. Now we've had Christy Wong on the show. Uh, I've I've had the privilege to go flying with Christy over at Denton Airport, and actually we're probably going to be catching up with her pretty soon because she has now restarted her long-term training over at Sandpiper. So we're excited to hear about that. But a part of uh, she's a co-host on a YouTube channel called In the Hangar. And Dan Milliken is the founder and host of that. And he has some videos of him flying into Oshkosh this year. And you can see how he lands and they're giving hand signals and using hand signals and that he had never seen before. And so it's really interesting and to see 
the documentaries on how they are working aircraft in is amazing. And one of the one of the really coolest things to see is to watch all the airplanes leave, which is going to be tomorrow morning. <laughs> August 1st is the last day of Oshkosh this year. And just watch them leave and they're just whoosh, and the, you can actually see some radar um, depictions. Somebody always makes some kind of radar depiction animation out of Oshkosh, and it's just like whoo, <laughs> everyone departing at the same this time. Massive dispersal from central Wisconsin. Yep, yep. So EAA was founded in uh, Hallis Corners or Hales Corners in Wisconsin in the year 1953 by Paul Paberski, who originally started the organization in the basement of his home for builders and restorers of recreational aircraft. Although home building is still a large part of the organization's activities, it has grown to include almost every aspect of recreational, commercial, and military aviation, as well as aeronautics and astronautics. The first EAA fly-in was held in September of 1953 at what is now Timmerman Field as a small part of the Milwaukee Air Pageant. Fewer than 150 people registered as visitors the first year, and only a handful of airplanes attended the event. In 1959, the EAA fly-in grew too large for the Air Pageant and moved to Rockford, Illinois. In 1970, when it outgrew its facilities at the Rockford Airport, now the Chicago Rockford International Airport, it moved to Oshkosh, Wisconsin. For many years, the official name of the event was the EAA Annual Convention and Fly-In. In 1998, the name was changed to Air Venture Oshkosh, but many regular attendees still call it as the Oshkosh Air Show, or just Oshkosh. For many years, access to the flight line was restricted to EAA members. In 1997, the fee structure for the show was changed, allowing all visitors access to the entire grounds. EAA AirVenture holds nearly 1,000 forums and workshops in addition to their many vendors, which bring a variety of aircraft supplies, general merchandise, and name brand sponsors such as Ford, Honda, Bose, John Deere, and more located in the Fly Mart. On May 1st, 2020, unfortunately, EAA announced that the 2020 AirVenture convention and air show would be canceled due to the COVID-19 pandemic. This year, however, it has gone strong, and we have the privilege of having a little bit of audio feedback from our friend, John Gruber. Now, you may remember John from previous episodes of the Squawk Ident podcast. He was first on the show on Flight 52, Race, Fly, Build, where we learned all about John's journey in aviation and his current build project of Atlantis Air Legacy. He also was on Flight 57 of the Squawk Ident podcast, Fabrications and the Magenta Line, where he gave us a lot of insight and an update on his build. Now, for those of you that have Instagram that would like to follow his build, John has been doing a wonderful vlog diary of the build process, the challenges that go along with it. And you can find that at Lancer underscore legacy on Instagram. I spoke with John earlier in the week and he was very generous enough to send us some audio from his visit to Oshkosh. 2021 Oshkosh EAA Air Venture. It's been an extremely busy week. 
and uh, it's it's so exciting to see the fact that last year there was nothing, but this year is, uh, I've got to say, the attendance is as high as I've ever seen. I'm currently over by the Bell 47 helicopter rides. These guys have been flying all week, either three or four ships, uh, all day, every day. So that's been really cool. We saw a bunch of C-47s fly in formation with T-6s earlier this afternoon, and then uh, we're also over by the Goodyear Blimp. Couple to see that. They're giving corporate rides and um, all that kind of stuff. Weather, uh, we had uh, the night air show on Wednesday night was pushed back to tonight, Thursday, because of bad weather that came through the area. Uh, fortunately, the storm was more bark than uh, its bite, so it, it wasn't too bad. But a lot of the aircraft owners were covering their wings with blankets or mattresses and saran wrap, uh, trying to make sure their wings and uh, everything else weren't going to get damaged. But the attendance is great. Uh, Mike Patey was just talking at the, his Garmin booth scrappy airplane and talking about kind of his design features and everything that went into that. And uh, we've got the night show tonight, like I said, and then Saturday there'll be the second night show. Uh, and we're still waiting to hear what the total numbers will be for attendance, but I, I have to venture a guess it'll, it will be the highest, uh, if not if not the highest in record, probably the second highest in record. So uh, this is just reporting from Oshkosh Air Venture. Uh, you guys enjoy the day. So uh, amazing, awesome audio feedback. Thank you so much, John, for sending that in. Uh, thoroughly loved receiving that. I've listened to it a few times. I love the helicopter in the background. It's so cool. <laughs> but yeah, EAA, man. Uh, Air Venture is uh, just an, an amazing opportunity to be enthralled in the aviation community, to see some amazing historical airplanes. So many uh, debuts happen at EAA every year. Air Venture has hosted the debuts of numerous revolutionary designs. Richard Van Grovesven debuted his Vans RV3 at Oshkosh in 1972, a home built that defined new ways of aircraft performance. Van Grusen would eventually go on to build more home builds than anyone else in the world, exceeding an annual production of all commercial general aviation companies combined. In 1975, aircraft designer Bert Rutan introduced his Very Ease Canard aircraft at Oshkosh as well, pioneering the use of moldless glass reinforced plastic construction in home builds, a technique that several aircraft went on to adopt in the ensuing years, including composite commercial airlines. At the 1987 Air Venture, Cirrus aircraft founder, the Kaplimer brothers, unveiled the Cirrus VK-30 kit airplane, which later led to the creation of the successful SR-20 and SR-22. The first designs to incorporate all composite fiberglass construction, glass panel cockpits, and airframe ballistic parachutes for use in manufactured light aircraft. Other past notable designs included at Air Venture include Frank Christensen's Christian Eagle II aerobatic biplane in 1978, Tom Hamilton's Glass Air 1 in 1980, and Lance Newber's Lance Air 200 in 1985. The EA estimated the attendance in 2018 at over 600,000, with 2,714 visitors registered from 87 nations. There are approximately 10,000 aircraft, 2,979 show planes, and 976 media representatives on site from six continents, along with 867 commercial exhibitors. The large number of aircraft arrivals and departures during the fly-in week 
makes the Whitman Field FAA control tower the busiest in the world for that week in number of movements. To accommodate the huge flow of aircraft around the airport and the nearby airspace, a special NOTAM is published each year, choreographing the normal and emergency procedures to follow. More than 4,000 volunteers contribute approximately 250,000 hours before, during, and after the event. You know, I saw something on that NOTAM. If you want to fly into there, hmm? you know, you want to check out that NOTAM. You might want to carve out some time in your day since it's like 30 pages long. <laughs> yeah, no joke. <laughs> and and it, it can be very intimidating. I, just watching some of the videos from this year's uh, individuals that have taken their airplanes in there. Yeah, it can be very, it is very crowded airspace and it can be very intimidating, the whole thing. Uh, EAA.org is where you can find the official website for the Air Venture. Uh, and there they have some fantastic photos of this year's event um, from Boeing Plaza to the home builds to the warbirds, acrobatics, ultralights, vintage airplane. And one of my favorite are the stall airplanes or the short takeoff and landing aircraft. Now, this year, you heard John describe how there was a airplane that was highly modified called Scrappy that was revealed at this year's air venture. AOPA has written about it. David Tullis from an article published on July 29th, 2021. Scrappy comes to life at air venture. Mike Patsy's latest stall aircraft makes public debut. Now, everybody's seen these videos of these oversized tundra tires on these, you know, cubs and another kind of aircraft. And they're having competitions on who can land and take off in the shortest distance. And some of these, it's like, what do they land in two feet? <laughs> it's, it's amazing to see this, uh, the, the skill level needed to pull something like this off. Well, Scrappy is an overbuilt short takeoff and landing aircraft that began as Club Crafters Carbon Cub EX3 Bush Plane. It drew a curious crowd of onlookers during its public debut at EAA AirVenture in Oshkosh this year, and it was transformed with a few modica- modifications by backcountry pilot, fabricator, and social media personality Mike Patty. Uh, there's some great photos and video and article about this in EAA, and I'll put a link in the show notes. Uh, for anyone that's interested in reading a little bit more about it. Now, a link in the show notes. We've been saying this since flight number one. And for those that don't know how to do it, on most podcast players, if you're listening to the podcast and you have the window open for the audio, you can either scroll down to the description or there might be a drop down menu bar or a little hamburger with the three lines that allow you to see the notes for the podcast or the description and you should be able to scroll down and hyperlinks are in there to all the reference material that we talk about so if you haven't done so yet i highly encourage you to check out the show notes for each episode recently uh, legacy airlines sent out an email to all of its employees or airline uh, pilots indicating how safety is our number one priority. And the reason they've done this is because there's been an uptick on 
incidents out on the ramp of not just pilots, but employees, crew members, uh, rampers, gate agents, whatever, getting injured. And those are accidents while on the job. We can't have that. We have to have safety be our number one priority because at the end of the day, as we always say, we protect our certificate. Well, we need to protect ourselves as well. One of the things that was highlighted in this year's quarterly distance learning was something I've got to admit I'm guilty of, and you probably are too. Has anyone out there ever walked between two baggage carts while the rampers were loading bags onto an aircraft? You say, well, they're loading bags. It's not going to move. Do I really have to walk all the way around this chain of tugs? (laughs) The answer? Yes. Do not take the shortcuts. Most of the injuries that have happened on the ramp at Legacy Airlines have happened with people walking between tugs when suddenly they move. Now, just because you see people loading bags from the tug doesn't mean it can't suddenly move with you in between two of them. And that can become deadly. In an article from, Flight, from the Flight Safety Foundation, they indicated that GAPs, or Ground Accident Prevention, is something that's growing in the airline community. Based on data provided to the foundation by several international airlines, the foundation estimates that 27,000 ramp accidents and incidents, one per 1,000 departures, occur worldwide every year. About 243,000 people are injured each year in these accidents and incidents. The injury rate is 9 per 1,000 departures. Ramp accidents cost major airlines worldwide at least $10 billion a year, the data indicates. These accidents affect airport operations, resulting in personal injuries, damage to aircraft, and facilities and ground support equipment. The foundation decided this was a safety threat and had to be answered. In 2003, the foundation launched Ground Accident Prevention Program in response. The GAP program developed information and products in practical format, or e-tools, designed to eliminate accidents and incidents at airport ramps, aprons, and adjacent taxiways during the movement of aircraft into and out of hangars as well. So I had no idea. One in 1,000? That's a lot. It does seem like a lot, considering the fact that, I mean, how many thousands of, tar- of departures are there a day just across the country? Yeah. So, so by that standard alone, there's got to be at least one injury a day at most of these international yeah, probably, airports. Yeah, two to three. I would say even two to three. Yeah. Yeah. How, how often do you see uh, uh, airport rescue and firefighting or ARF? Uh, we don't call it CFR anymore because we took the crash out of that acronym. Um, or ambulances driving around the terminal out on the ramp side. Is that always for somebody in the terminal or is that apparently not for an employee or someone that got injured on the duty? Now, I've I've not witnessed any of these accidents happening, but I mean, we've all seen the videos. There's the very famous viral video of the catering golf cart slash, you know, electric cart that went ballistic in Chicago O'Hare, nearly hitting an aircraft, causing potentially millions of dollars in damage. and some brave quick thinking ramper jumped on a electric tug or the red lobster and 
completely flipped this uh, electric tug before somebody got hurt or uh, the aircraft was injured. Um, so you know, we actually did a, a little bit of a story on that years ago when that first came out. Um, I've heard of a ramper losing three fingers by getting his hand caught in a belt loader and he couldn't reach the shutoff and it twisted his, his fingers right off, um, ended up going out on injury and, and, and losing three fingers in the process. Extremely dangerous. This equipment is dangerous and we have to be very aware of our surroundings. Our situational awareness must be at its highest level when you're out on the ramp. There's a reason they want us to wear those neon reflected vests when we do a walk around. And it's so that people see us, don't hit us. But at the same time, you too need to make good choices out there on the ramp and don't walk in between baggage carts. You know, try not to take the shortcuts. Don't walk underneath a belt loader because I've seen heavy, heavy stuff fall off the top of that belt loader onto the ground. You don't want to be under it. So please, if you're listening to this, be safe and make good choices while you're out on the ramp. You know, when you really think about it, there's a lot of mechanical equipment and heavy equipment, you know, that's moving around out there on the ramp on a, on a, on a second by second basis. And I guess when you multiply that over the amount that we fly in this country, unfortunately that the, the odds of something happening do go up a fair amount. I, I never honestly really thought about it that much, but yeah. Yeah. And it's not just the airline ramp, the GA ramp. I mean, I had a, when I was going through flight training, I can remember a friend of mine, Curtis, you know who you are. He would send me photos off of the internet, off some weird website of like autopsy 101 or something of people versus propellers. And the stuff you can never unsee. <laughs> and uh, I tell you, I, I was deathly afraid to be uh, issued a turboprop once I got a real job. <laughs> I did not want it because <laughs> I saw those photos and it just freaked me out. And ever since then, I have always been deathly afraid of a spinning prop. As you should be. A healthy respect. <laughs> appreciation for a spinning propeller versus you is, is probably a, a healthy thing. Yeah. Yeah. And there are other safety uh, aspects of this job. Um, I recently came across a website that has a really cool online runway safety flashcard and quiz. And wouldn't you know it? It's from our friends at the FAA. On FAA.gov, if you just search runway safety flashcards and quiz, there's a really cool runway marking quiz that anyone can take. Now, I looked at this and I thought, well, I should get 100%, right? I should know it all. At this level in the game, there's some markings in there that threw me for a loop. I encourage you to check it out. Well, Roger, you know, today's been a, a pretty quick show. I want to say thank you for joining me today. Uh, Kyle and Rob couldn't make it. They're actually both flying this morning. Uh, the funny thing is, and when we were uh, texting back and forth last night, we all were in Phil we're all in uh, Pennsylvania. Yep. 
I thought I, I found that pretty funny. I was like, you know, well, I'm going to be in Pittsburgh. Well, no, I can't make it because I'm outside Philadelphia. No, I can't make it because I got a departure to Philadelphia. And I found that was kind of funny that all you guys were converging on Pennsylvania at the exact same time. Yeah. What are the odds of that? You know, and <laughs> my favorite was Kyle's response was like, not by choice, Roger, not by choice. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, good it's times. better, you know, Pennsylvania this time of year is not actually is not that bad. Oh, the weather's fantastic as a matter of fact as soon as we're done recording here i'm going to get cleaned up a little bit i'm going to go for a run along the three rivers here yeah. now at the at the onset of the show i i did introduce the location here here in pittsburgh uh haven't been back to pittsburgh in a while uh, absolutely we talked about that at the onset of the show where i was uh, recording today and i have been here a few times i never really thought about it but as for those watching the video, you can see behind me there the uh, the wonderful view from the 16th floor and of the hotel here. And the Pittsburgh Three Rivers Regatta. No, that's not right. Regatta. I'm trying to find some intel on. The Three Rivers Park, which is right behind me, a wonderful view from the 16th floor of the hotel here, is an urban park and waterfront along the Allegheny, Mongala, and Ohio rivers in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. The park, under development since 2000, is currently defined by the boundaries of the West End Bridge over the Ohio River, the 31st Street Bridge over the Allegheny River, and the Hot Metal Bridge over the Mongala River. I hope I'm saying that right. Wishbone-shaped loop of the Three Rivers Park encompasses Pittsburgh Peninsula and Point State Park at its center and spans over 13 miles of interconnected trails and green space with over 800 acres of public space. All right, dude, that's it. I'm putting on my running shoes and I'm going to go for a run. <laughs> yeah, should, I mean, Pittsburgh's a pretty nice city outside the uh, the industrial sections of it, at least. But um, mm -hmm. lots of water out there, lots of lots of rivers. And. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. You should have a good time and weather should be nice this time of year, too. Absolutely. Uh, unfortunately, I, I got to the hotel kind of late last night I, and I was solo. So um, I have a rule. I don't I don't go out and drink alone. So if I have uh, someone to share an IPA with, then great. Uh, but yeah, so many breweries out here. And then across the river there, I don't know if you can see that right there. There's like a, a tram that takes you up to the top of the hill. And there's a bunch of cool little eateries up there and restaurants and so, yeah, I'm uh, excited to go out and explore the Pittsburgh area. Well, I just want to say one final thank you to John Gruber for updating us on Oshkosh and sending us the feedback. I look forward to having you on the show again here again real soon so that we can get an update on your build of the Lancer Legacy. Uh, for those, again, listening uh, to the show and they have Instagram and you'd like to follow John's progress on his vlog for his build, just follow him at LanceAir underscore Legacy. And from there, you can see his daily updates that he does on the build. I've learned so much just from watching his Instagram account. Ladies and gentlemen, I'd also like to say thank you for coming along this journey with us and by listening to our podcast. As Flight 85 is starting its final descent into the virtual airport, we here at Squawk Ident would like to say thank you for flying with us. 
please help us out and make sure to subscribe and follow to the Squawk Island Podcast. And if you would, just spend a moment and write us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to the show. It helps us out tremendously. We appreciate your support and especially your feedback. You can send us audio feedback just there. You can record a short message on your iPhone using the voice record and then send it in an email. Or you can visit our website at aviatortony.com. That's Alpha, Victor, the number eight, Romeo, Tango, Oscar, November, Yankee.com. And there you can find audio archives, photos from the flight line, our Squawk Ident pilot shop, the guestbook photo tab, and you can contribute to the show financially as well. Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram users can find us under the Squawk Ident podcast. A big final thank you to Captain Roger for joining us today. We hope that your family all recovers very quickly from this this uh, COVID fiasco that you're having to deal with. Um, and a big thank you to you, the listener, for taking the time to listen to these grateful aviators. Keep the dirty side down out there. Be safe and take care of each other. Thanks, everybody. Fly safe. Thank you. See ya. Where's my crew meal? Dad. You and your crew meals. <laughs> 